Now Yah without sin can cast the first stone. But we thought it was unfair that some should have so many while others should have so few. But with the benefit of hindsight, maybe it wasn't such a hot idea. But at the time, Ezra's plan seemed like the solution to all our problems and the answer to all our prayers. Well, okay then. This is Spoilers. <laughs> this is Spoilers. Just a simple little spoiler for a simple little movie. Uh, hey everybody, welcome to Spoilers. We're doing a Patreon pick, Dr. Lars. Uh, preserve Patreon. And we have a special guest, Film Dylan. Dr. Lars had a substantial message they sent to us very nice things all around but he said for my opening question i guess i'll keep it related i often wonder what movie for your age group has the most quotable lines like that you and your buddies always are tossing out to make each other laugh for us it was stuff like raising arizona animal house revenge of the nerds space balls breakfast club 16 candles planes trains and automobiles what about you kids? Now, we have a diverse age range on the podcast. Corey, <laughs> you're significantly older than us and way older than film Dylan. Uh, why don't we go east to east and let you start? Hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Corey Kylo Ren memes. I'm recording out of Simi Valley, California. It's true, I am old. I'm, I'm ancient. I was alive when Raising Arizona came out. How fucking crazy is that? That's pretty old. 80s kid. When I was in my 20s-ish, there was one specific movie that we quoted a lot. You know, there's a lot of movies I've quoted throughout my life. Guys that do movie podcasts have quoted movies their whole life. So I am no exception. But fucking Blood In, Blood Out. A movie that we did a podcast mm, on very recently. Carnal. We used to fucking throw that shit out there <laughs> all the time. Carnal. Um, we used to say, put the needle in, get down James Brown. Uh, you know what I mean, Jelly Bean? Which Jeez. is something that Paco says, which is very out of place in that movie, but he says it to Spider right before he fucking kills him. <laughs> There's one moment in the movie where some like wasted fucking shithead goes up to Milo at his Miklo at his house. They're having the party, and he pulls down his lip, and it says FTW tattooed on his inner lip. He goes, "Hey Miklo, fuck the world." We used to say that shit all the time. Um, blood and blood out's a big one, but you know I'm gonna steal everyone's answer, obviously, and say every single line of dialogue from the Big Lebowski. Yeah, obvious choice, Big Lebowski. Yeah. Mm. So I hope you guys had a backup for those of you, <laughs> all of you, that were gonna say that. Well, like I said, we have a wide range of ages. Maybe Film Dylan wasn't born when the Big Lebowski came out with his Walter Skype profile picture. But Mikey, what about you? We grew up around the same time. We were classmates. Yeah, same time, same school. This is a hard one for me uh, because I just couldn't remember any movie quotes that I used to say a bunch. I feel like that wasn't part of my personality, but when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking of a lot of super bad quotes. And like when Michael Sarah is like, he's a freak, he's the fastest kid alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always remember that one and... Just like, oh no, it's the cops and stuff like that. But there's not 
so many uh, quotes here that I'm like remembering saying all the time in my everyday usage, I guess. I don't know. That doesn't seem... I, I don't remember saying a lot of movie quotes as a, as a younger high school kid or something, but I don't know. Don't remember that much from that time. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I was never a big movie quotes guy. This is Pappy recording from Goshen. I feel like Out Cold was a pretty big one <laughs> at the time. <laughs> For those of you who remember That's Out Cold. awesome. Like, go to, go to the bathroom in the cup pig pen, and he takes a big poop in it. Um, Caddyshack, I mean, that came out way before I was born, but just a lot of, like, Caddyshack quotes, like, do you do drugs, Danny, every day, sir? Um <laughs> And it's good on you, though. <laughs> yeah. A free bowl of soup. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know. Any, like, Jim Carrey movies, too, in the 90s, I feel like were... Ah, Jim Carrey. Eminently quotable. But, Steve, you were always a big movie quotes always guy. Always quoting the majestic, Pappy. He was <laughs> running around quoting <laughs> the majestic. God. <laughs> I just said the number 23 the number all 23. the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Movie quote. I get that reference. Stevie, what about you? Big movie quote guy, Stevie. Man, there's a couple I still hold on to. Most of them are from like Pineapple Express. They're like inside jokes between me and my sister. I feel like Tommy Boy was really quotable when I was growing up. Especially if someone says, how do I look? You could always respond with chubby. Dumb and Dumber, I feel like was super quotable. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Dumb and Dumber, Tommy Boy were like really, really quotable in the 90s. And there's a couple of James Franco lines from Pineapple Express that I'll still hold on to every now and then. Done with the woods. Done with the woods. Let's go. Yeah. Fucking linger. <laughs> Last but not least, Film Dylan. Um, Dr. Lars said he was older than us. You're, I consider you way younger than us. So I don't know if you have a different <laughs> totally frame of reference for movies that were around when you were growing up. But <laughs> Film Dylan's here in a little schoolboy outfit with like a yeah. big lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to picture myself that way, like the the guy in Bruce just pulling up in the yeah in the <laughs> the little yeah. schoolboy outfit. I think that's a good call, Corey. Um, yes, this is Film Dylan from the podcast in a study. Happy to be back on as always. Um, this is an interesting question. I I feel like this is probably very common for people my age, but since middle school, lines from the Phantom Menace get bandied about quite a bit. Yeah, all of the Star Wars prequels prequel lines are kind of ubiquitous i feel like for people my age but I, i'm kind of in the same boat as some of you guys like i don't i don't think i really took a lot of movie lines into my vocabulary as a kid or even now the one thing i do notice is that i will kind of quote a movie without realizing it because i'm quoting a line that's only kind of memorable to me like it's not a iconic line in any way like i think we might have mentioned it on the embruge podcast but Anytime someone says nooks and crannies, I like hear it in my head as the <laughs> arm stealer in that movie. And I like say it back like he does like, yes, nooks and crannies. Yes. And like nobody knows what I'm talking about. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I am quoting a movie right now. And I'm just not even realizing it. I'm like not cognizant <laughs> of it at all. I do that all the time with like very, very even more bland lines than that. I'll say it's OK with me all the time from the long goodbye. And I, I don't think I've like realized all that often that I'm referencing that without my own knowledge. So. I don't know. That's that's how it tends to be for me. Things only I would recognize and are kind of boring in any other context. Prequels too, you said, right? The prequels, yeah. That's that's more of a you know, if somebody just starts that train in the room, then that's going to be the ne- uh, the conversation for the next illness. ten minutes. You know, yes. <laughs> I'm tell you kids a story about the prequels here. 
So, you know, prequel memes, very popular. There's a lot of quotable lines that have become memes. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Now, this is pod racing. Well, back when you guys were youngins, (laughs) the reason those became memes is because people my age would quote them ironically because we thought they were so fucking stupid. So shit like (laughs) it's over, Anakin, I have the high ground eventually became a meme because it was a fucking joke to us. And now, for some reason, people take them super seriously. It's weird. It's had this, like, reverse effect culturally. I am in your camp on that, though. Like, whenever I'm saying them, I'm not saying them out of any genuine interest in them. I strongly dislike all of the prequels. So (laughs) I'm just saying them in kind of that ironic sense. But you're right. Then you have a conversation with somebody where, like, that's the gospel to them. Ah, you're you're my favorite schoolboy today, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning well. I was watching a Victor Wembayama interview, and he and they asked him what his favorite movies are, and he's like, Star Wars. And they're like, wait, 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 which Star Wars? He's like, the prequels, for sure. Oh, <laughs> oh God. His career's <laughs> over before it started. <laughs> who's that? Uh, he's a French basketball, basketball player. player who's like 17 years old, I think, in the Holy NBA. Holy shit. 7'3". Yeah. Big prequel guy. Mm-hmm. Big prequel fan. CV, I feel like the... Uh, the movie quotes were really predicated on when you owned a movie on mm-hmm. physical media. You know what I mean? And you would just be watching that movie over and over again. Did you have any movies like that that you just watched over and over again? Maybe Liar Liar. I watched a lot. That um, sex scene got you going. Really did. <laughs> that specific yeah. part. That was, specific part. Was I mean, going around making the... The VHS was just worn out right when you got to that part. Dude, the Sandlot. The Sandlot was quoted by a lot of people my generation. Still is. You know, you, you hear people say, you're killing me, Smalls, occasionally. But fuck, I feel like everyone my age, like in their that's currently in their mid-30s, watched this shit out of the Sandlot, dude. That was the one. It did make me want to dip at a young age. I'll admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Big Chief. Cha. The good stuff. See, Corey and Stevie are movie quotes, guys. You can just tell by the way they. <laughs> by the way, just they back into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did he say what he was quoting from this movie? He didn't say. He did say that um, when anyone asks what his favorite movie was, he usually settles on Raiders of the Lost Ark or Raising Arizona. And then he also said that he thinks this is peak Nick Cage. That's pretty good because they're like right next to each other on his DVD shelf. Mm-hmm. So like his two favorites are right there. The one-two punch, yes. Mm-hmm. I've seen people post this before. Like, what's your favorite Nick Cage movie that's not Raising Arizona? Film Dylan, would you say this is peak Nick Cage for you? To me, this is peak Nick Cage, but I feel like I have no ground to stand on with that because a lot of the like most memed Nick Cage performances I haven't seen. Like Vampire's Kiss, I know, is the one that gets like brought up a lot. You get The Wicker Man. There's like a lot of very perfectly Nick Cage doing Nick Cage movies, and this is not really that. So it also depends on how you want to frame the conversation. Like, is peak, is peak Nick Cage him doing himself the best, or is it him, like, doing a role really well, you know? National treasure? I think 96 and 97 with Con Air and Face Off is, like, yeah. peak Nick Cage in my mind. Yeah. It's not my the favorite rock. Nick Cage movies, but I think those ones are, like, 90s action Cage, which, uh, you know, a lot of people remember, but... National Treasure, like Mikey said, is kind of like a Nick Cage classic in its own way. Well, it's like he's had different eras of his career. Like he's in this like doing either really weird B movies or playing himself literally in movies at this point. 
But this young skinny guy took a chance on the second Brothers Cohen movie, Raising Arizona. Corey, you know I love to go to you with this question, but how would you describe Raising Arizona to someone who hadn't seen it before? I have no fucking idea, man. This is such a weird movie. <laughs> it's a weird movie. Yeah. You know, Coen Brothers movies are are interesting because it's like I can describe maybe a Coen Brothers movie like just generally a Coen Brothers movie. Like it's a comedy, but it's not like a comedy, but it is actually funny. Right? So when I tell someone it's a comedy, I don't want them to think, "Oh, it's bullshit." Like, that's how I picture him anyway. Like, it's some, like, off-the-shelf, like, some, like, in-your-face joke every 30 seconds. You know, the trailers for a comedy. People are doing silly stuff, and then record skip, music stops, and there's a joke. Coen Brothers movies don't do that. I don't know about the trailers, but Coen Brothers movies, it's almost like subtle humor. And this movie is, (laughs) it's so hard to place, right? Because I think each Coen Brothers movie has... A similar vibe, yet a distinct vibe. And this one, I can't quite pinpoint it, um, but I will say early Coen Brothers has Coen Brothers energy and um, subtle humor. What's the matter, Ed? My finance left me. She said her fiancé had run off with a student cosmetologist who knew how to apply her feminine wiles. My son, bitch. Don't forget his phone call, lad. Tell him I think he's a damn fool, Ed. You tell him I said so, H.I. McDonough. And if he wants to discuss it, he knows where to find me in the Maricopa County Maximum Security Correctional Facility for Men, State Farm Road, number 31, Tempe, Arizona. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. I think the first 10 minutes of this movie, Stevie are better than the first 10 minutes of Up. I stole that from someone on Letterboxd. But do you... I, I know... I know you have mixed opinions on this movie. And that's okay. I think we should just get, there out, get that out in the front. But do you at least appreciate the filmmaking of this like first 10-minute montage? I love the first 10 minutes. I think it's really great. I really enjoy it. Especially, you know, the slow and yet, you know, kind of... I don't know. I feel like Ed is immediately attracted to uh, to high, but um, and I don't. Know, I like those first ten minutes. I like the 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 narration of it. I like the camera work. I like the acting. I like how the music kind of plays subtly behind. You know what's going on. I enjoy the first ten minutes of this movie. I really do. I like the music, the the banjo, <laughs> yodeling yeah. score that's going on. It certainly is a tone, right? Mike, you tell us a little bit about H.I. McDonough. Uh, Nick Cage himself. Uh, he's a repeat convict in and out of jail multiple times for... He doesn't consider it armed robbery because the gun isn't loaded. So no harm, no foul in his mind. Uh, but he is an idiot and he gets caught every time he tries to commit robbery at like the convenience store. Um, but he doesn't seem like a, a bad person. Uh, he's just not very smart and he's got like no prospects of a, 
a job or anything. So this is this is how he survives. They got a name for people like him. Recidivism. <laughs> Not a pretty name, is it? <laughs> no, sir, that is one bonehead name. <laughs> Josh! H- Hello. Josh? Josh! Josh is here. Josh is here. What was the spoiler? All I said was... Okay, Opening then. question. What ep- what order did we go in? East to east. <laughs> you you haven't missed anything, Josh. The open the the question was what movie did you quote as a child, and how much of it was Ace Ventura when you were growing up? Oh, okay. You guys already pegged me. We can, we can keep moving. That's good. That's pretty accurate. Jim Carrey, nineteen ninety three. Is that right? Guys, Kylo, is that the year he came out like three movies? 92. 94. Was that a four? Nice. Ace Ventura also has an actor that's in this movie. The Leonard Smalls guy is the guy that Ace delivers the HDS package to. I want to talk about Leonard Smalls because he's he's like probably like the biggest point of like fan theorying that happens around this movie. But Film Dylan, I know you're a big Coen Brothers guy. It's it's a weird line that this movie toes because like on one hand it's it's almost like a Trailer Park Boys joke of like how they say things incorrectly or like you know like just just kind of like who they are. But on the other hand, like High will say things that are like totally profound and in kind of like a poetic way. Sometimes did any of that stand out to you? It definitely does, and you're right. That's like definitely a common theme in all their movies. They always can get you to kind of side with the fool and not really see him that way like sure he's funny sure he makes some questionable decisions but you always see like the heart in them and you also do see more wisdom than a lot of comedies would pin them as you know you've got you've got high in this movie you got the main three you know brother where art thou the dude maybe the pinnacle example the coens love to kind of put you on the side of a guy who's maybe not in the best place in his life he's maybe not super smart but you're gonna root for him and uh yeah every now and then you're right. High will drop a, a little nugget of knowledge of wisdom that uh, that'll stick with you, especially when he's kind of reflecting on his path of life, his relationship with Ed, and uh, kind of the future with a with a kid on the way. There's what's right, and there's what's right, and never the tween shall meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's both incredibly simple and yet intermittently eloquent. He's a deep thinker. This high and Josh, I don't know. Do you? Uh, do you think he's a likable character? Nick Cage is high. He does kidnap a baby. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks like a modern day hipster for a movie this old. I feel like he looks like a lot of guys you see on the street walking around Chicago. No offense, Mikey. <laughs> the stash, the hairdo, the, the garb. Yeah. The leaf blower hair. I do think he is somewhat likable. And I think, I don't know how much you guys talked about the open already. But they seem to cover most of his dark past in a comedic 10-minute intro where, like, so much takes place. He's, like, he does actually heinous crimes, arrested (laughs) three times, does huge stints in prison. And it's all this, like, little comedic, like, epilogue or prologue, I mean. So I think they're basically saying, like, yeah, he's done some weird things, but... People like him, and you're going to like him, too. Like, all the people that he meets with on the parole board, those scenes are so great and not what you (laughs) expect to see from a movie. 
parole boards are usually like hard asses who are like find any reason to add more time to your sentence. But these people are like, now you wouldn't lie to us again, would you? <laughs> and he's like, nope. And they're like, good enough for us. You're not just telling us what we want to hear because we want to hear the truth. Well, in that case, I am telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> Dang it. I, <laughs> we I told you not it. to do that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, hi, you done served your 20 months. And seeing as how you never use live ammo, we got no choice but to return you to society. These doors going to swing wide. I didn't want to hurt anyone, sir. Hi, we respect that. But you're just hurting yourself with this rambunctious behavior. I know that, sir. Okay, then. The I don't know. Like The whole, like, it is weird because that opening montage covers, like, presumably years of time as he's going in and out of prison. Like, I think at one point he has a 14-month sentence, and he meets Ed during that time, too. That's the Stevie question for me, though. Hmm. It's like, why do him and Ed fall in love, actually? I feel like something's glossed over here. Something in the subtext. Because of movie? Um, Holly Hunter in 1987. <laughs> yeah, movie? Uh, that's that's all you believe in the Coen brothers? Just because of movie? That's the kind of movie they make? Her finance left him. Her. Yeah, I mean, her finance left her. It's obviously two broken people. Um, obviously, Nick Cage is someone that's easy to manipulate. And um, maybe that's like what the initial attraction was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like nothing like crazy deep here it's just kind of like yeah why not and she's also crazy it was her idea it's love at first sight for high i think stevie was on to something and i think that when she becomes a broken person she clearly gets gets desperate um and at the end of this opening 10 minute montage we meet nathan arizona oh we do find out that she's this woman who looks as fertile as the tennessee valley is actually barren and the Arizona Quints are born. Mikey, I feel like every freaking character in this movie just fucking kills it. And like the Coen brothers are really good at like two things, technical like camera work and movement. And they get like the best performances out of their actors, including this guy who plays Nathan Arizona. What's going on with the uh, the Arizona Quints? Arizona Quints. Uh, yeah, it's just like a local uh, news story about this guy. This guy's family, he like runs uh, Unpainted Furniture Depot or something. So come on down to Unpainted Arizona, where you can get the finest selection in fixtures and appointments for your bathroom, bedroom, boudoir. And if you can find lower prices anywhere, my name ain't Nathan Arizona. And they just had quintuplets. And he's like the richest guy in town, and he's constantly got these commercials on the air and stuff. So everybody knows who he is. And it's a real big deal because he's not the mayor, but he's close to it, I guess, in terms of like people knowing him. So it's a big deal in the local news. And Holly Hunter's character gets the idea that uh, they don't need all five babies. They can live with just four. They don't need all the trouble of five babies. So they're going to take one themselves this guy though Corey, he's like a very specific like used car salesman sleazy type guy absolutely nathan arizona is classic coen brothers side character but this particular one has like the big personality and he's kind of like you know in everyone's shit when all the cops are there asking him questions and stuff and then you got like again kind of like more classic coen brothers comedy where the cops are 
arguing with each other or it's like the FBI guys and the cops. You know, not in this movie a whole lot, Mr. Nathan Arizona, but definitely a big personality. And I, I have a feeling that uh, the Shooter McGavin actor that played a similar role in f- the movie Fanboys, this is getting real specific, probably <laughs> modeled his character after this guy. Like Nathan Arizona modeled whatever that guy's name was. Shooter McGavin actor played him in Fanboys. But he's funny for the parts we get him. There aren't even like that many characters in the movie. It's a pretty small story. And then like, I don't know, it's like, it takes place over like maybe a week, save that that opening montage. Um, Stevie, you and I were talking before, and you've often said this is like one of your least favorite scenes in movies. Why does the mud bother you so much? I feel like our <laughs> audience needs to know. It just looks so sloppy, and it's hard to look at or imagine. And when John Goodman, and I think it's what, William Forsyth, his name? Mm-hmm. When they're sitting on the couch, when they get to you know Ed and High's <laughs> house, I really just wanted to turn the TV off. Um, it's just hard to look at, Pap. And this whole <laughs> movie is kind of muddy and grimy. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like This movie looks like... You know, like how people from Arkansas sound. It's just hard to get around. I know if it's people from Arkansas. <laughs> There's something but, like, to unpack there. We're what? huge in Arkansas, Stevie. Be careful. Well, I'd be shocked. Um, <laughs> not a whole lot of people in that godforsaken state. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know, this movie just looks, I understand it's an aesthetic. I get it. These are our characters. This is the reality we live in. But everything Nothing ever looks clean in this movie, and it's hard to look at. There's a couple like Coen Brothers things that like you see echoing in different movies. Like at one point, there's like a confrontation at like a gas station, like counter grocery store, and also the um, William Forsythe and John Goodman they they use pomade a lot, and I couldn't help but think of like Dapper Dan. Let's see. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> First order of business is to make yourself look like a 50s greaser right after you escaped prison, (laughs) right? They're completely like disheveled and covered in like shit and mud and piss, but like they got to make their fucking hair nice. That is like a (laughs) precursor to, oh brother, where art thou? It's got to be, right? Mm -hmm. like He's always saying my hair. I mean, lines up perfectly. And Josh, I really wanted to get your insight on this as one of our resident fathers. Do you, did you, um have a life change in terms of like hanging out with the boys or like people who would come around your family without getting too specific. Like once you started having kids, cause I feel like that's what, the, that's what's at the heart of this movie. Right. Is like each guy is going through a change in his life. And these boys kind of represent a bad influence on his past. Are you, are you resonating with that at all? So weird calling this character high or HI all the time. <laughs> It throws me off every time. Here we are, though. Uh, yeah, hi. I think they are really relatable scenes. Like, there are times when maybe your old bros who you've known longer than you've known your current partner have a different opinion than your partner. And that is a tough situation for anyone to be in. And I think... Uh, what did you call it, Dylan? Uh, what did you call his hair? Nicholas Cage's hair in this movie? I feel like 
I don't, you know, I don't know how they styled it, but it looks like somebody just pulled out a leaf blower and blasted at his hair for five seconds. And then they're like, <laughs> all right, action. <laughs> yeah. And every time there's one of these differing of opinions, it's like he's getting blasted in the face with more air. It's like he doesn't know what to do. It, it just seems like he agrees with whoever talked to him last, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> He's got that like Robert Pattinson hair, like when it's up and wild and out, like that's how Robert Pattinson always has his hair in interviews and shit. It's crazy, but you're right. There is like a hipster element to it. The mustache is also a contributing factor. Is this one of his cutest movies? Just a little cutie pie? He's looking real good, I think. This and like Moonstruck, young Nick Cage, handsome boy. What do you think, Dylan? Most handsomest Nicolas Cage appearance. It's got to be this. I mean, how can you, yes. you got to look at the shirt and the hair together and the mustache and tie it all together. And like, is there a better look than that? You know, it's truly wild. Well, Glenn's wife thinks he's cute. We know that. Exactly. For sure. That's very true. Just knowing he came from a long line of outlaws makes him like 10% hotter too. Get that edginess. Mm-hmm. The Woody yeah. Woodpecker tattoo. <laughs> Classic sign of a badass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mikey, we mentioned Glenn. Like I said, there's not a lot of characters in this movie. And honestly, like in terms of a story, there's not even really that much that happens, you know? Like, I mean, like the inciting incident happens after a 10 minute montage. They kidnap the baby. And then, like, the rest of the movie is just kind of like the fallout from that. But we do get a new character, Glenn, who's introduced. What's going on with uh, Nick Cage's foreman? Don't mind me. How many Pollocks take to screw up a light bulb? I don't know, Glenn. One? Nope. Takes three. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. No, I told him wrong. Here, I'm starting again. How come it takes three Polacks to screw up a light bulb? I don't know, Glenn. Because they're so darn stupid. (laughs) Shit, man. Listen up. What's the matter? Don't you get it? No, Glenn. I sure don't. Well, shit, man, I guess that's why they call it a way homer. Why's that? Because you only get it on the way home. Uh, this is his boss, right? Uh, that he hangs out with for an afternoon. And, uh, they're just swingers. I think he said he wanted to have sex with his wife or something. <laughs> I don't know. And then he knocks <laughs> him out. Uh, and then he, I mean, he's going to get fired from his job. So then he has to turn back to the life of crime to get these huggies, uh, on the way back home. Hates the so. Polish, you know? <laughs> At the risk of, uh, you know, it, there's always a risk when you talk about movies like this of devolving into just talking about your favorite bits. So mm-hmm. I try to, I'm trying to avoid doing that, but I will say this this scene with Glenn and Dot visiting High and Ed is just so packed with stuff that just cracks me up. But probably chief among them, for whatever reason, is when Glenn's just talking to High and then out of nowhere, he yells, hit the deck, boy, and he just chucks like a handful of peanuts at his son. <laughs> that, that gets me every single time like I've never seen it before. There's something about that. Like, he's doing it to prove to Hyde. Like, he's like, check out my son. Like, look how good he is or something. He's like, what does he say? He's like swift or something like that. And he just, like, throws peanuts at him. Like, just makes a fucking mess in, like, his trailer. Like, why? It's just he's just like that. You know, he's throwing peanuts, he's talking about the Polish, and he's, you know, making an indecent proposal. There's something, like, very on-brand about the swingers being from Arizona. Like, I don't know why, they just feels like that's very true in my head. When I picture people from there, I feel like that's just, like, what they're into all the time. 
open marriages. L'amour, as they call it. This is the one time in the movie that he doesn't agree with the last person that he talks with, maybe. <laughs> he doesn't like that idea at all. He gets a crazy look in his eye here, and then like later on when they're like uh when John Goodman's talking about their relationship. Like he it, it's like a weird Nick Cage flash <laughs> that like they zoom in on his face a couple times that that shows. But Stevie, speaking of the camera work, I feel like when people think about Raising Arizona, they think of one scene in particular. Yep. The the chase scene. Yep. Can you take us through a little bit of the chaos of that? Well, I mean, this is probably I think it's everybody's, I mean, I wouldn't say everybody's favorite part of this movie, but it's definitely mine. I feel like it is everybody's favorite part. I mean, movie. right? Like, first off, the music's great, but I just kind of like the devulsion of, you know, <laughs> we get him trying to hold up the joint. Um, Ed drives off with the baby, and then chaos ensues. And I really just love how long and extended this really seems. Like, this seems like a long, long... It seems like the middle third of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a yeah. long, long, like, <laughs> sequence. And it's just, like, what went into my brain. I know this is probably pre to it. But when he's running through the house after he gets catapulted through the truck, it kind of reminded me of an episode of Cops. It really did. Um, <laughs> when he's, like, running through that family's house and, like, the cops are chasing him up and down the stairs. It was kind of Scooby-Doo-like to me. And also, I like how, you know, he's we're going through all these things. Like, people are almost hitting each other with cars. Cops are chasing. You know, he gets catapulted out of a truck. Ends up back with Ed eventually by the end. It's It almost seems exhausting, but the camera work inside the grocery stores where he's in there, you know... Whether it's Pop or Loaves of Bread are getting blown up from gunfire, that's really cool to look at. Is this a really neat sequence and some decent tracking shots too? It's so funny looking at the yeah the tracking shots of Nick Cage running up the stairs and it's like all shaky cam behind him as he's like trying to run through the house. I love that shot that you brought up of running through the house. Yeah, that one for whatever reason that one always sticks with me as like I don't know if you could call it like a rule breaking shot, but it's just such a like. It's such a weird, random shot to throw in there of sprinting around. And, like, I don't know. Every time I see it, 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 it puts a smile on my face. <laughs> and him, like, casually jogging down the, the yeah. grocery aisles while the cop is firing rats. <laughs> so nonchalant. the calmest face. Yeah, yeah. the calmest face of all time when the, when the other cashier, like, you know, barely misses his head. He just, like, kind of looks at him, like, just slowly assessing the situation and turns around, keeps it moving. The convenience store, like, teenager that's working there that pulls out the gun that dude is like not letting this fucking thing go either. like he's on yeah. the hunt like you got the local like every dog in the neighborhood is involved right the the local teenager with like the hugest possible gun like way bigger than the cops he's just like popping up like firing rounds like just indiscriminately like just gunfire everywhere there's a couple people with normal like layman jobs that join the fight that <laughs> yeah. in a normal movie. They'd just be kind of like helpless bystanders. The, the driver in the truck is probably my favorite of the group. His face <laughs> he screaming He tries to is speed insane. off without him. <laughs> <laughs> I think the bullets do a good job of feeling big and dangerous, even while you guys are saying there's like a goofiness to him. There's like some sort of impact that you can kind of feel with the gun work. I, I liked it in this movie. Son, you got a panty on your head. 
love that line too. There's everyone like, like I mean, like the main characters too, but like everyone's just kind of like simple in this movie. Has like a very simple way of talking. Like later when they're robbing the the Hayseed Bank, like just lay down on the ground, young Missy. Like I don't know, like if people mm-hmm. from Arizona really talk like that. I mean, there's also something too is like when you're fighting with your significant other. But you still have to like give directions in the car, like turn right here, honey. You know what I mean? There's just something so funny about that. What if me and the baby been picked up? Turn right here. Like the junior would have an accessory to armed robbery. No, it ain't armed robbery if the gun ain't loaded. What kind of home life is this for a title? Like you supposed to be an example? What? Did this man? Uh-huh. I never postured myself as a three-piece suit type. Turn right, honey. We got a child now. Everything's changed. Well, Nathan Jr. exists me for what I am. And I think you better head to. You know, honey, I'm okay, you're okay, that there's what it is. I know, but honey... See, I come from a long line of frontiersmen and... Oh, here it is, dear, turn here. Frontiersmen and outdoor cops. I'm not gonna live this way, honey. It just ain't family life. Well, it ain't Ozzy and Harriet. We've kind of danced around Leonard Smalls. I haven't brought him up too much. I feel like this is a Stevie question if there ever was one. What is Leonard Smalls, Stevie D.U.? The only good guy in the movie? <laughs> he was sold for $30,000 in 1950 money. That was the going rate for a baby. Is that a tough life? <laughs> I mean, this probably is like Reddit fan theory territory, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I went deep on a couple. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's Reddit posts going back nine years from now about like what is Leonard Smalls. Um, you can see him too. That's like the weird part to me, right? I don't know if this is a good like question for me or not because it's kind of confusing. But is he real? See, I want to go back to like before I went down the fucking Reddit rabbit hole. Like when I first saw the movie, like I'm talking like years ago because this is the DVD we had growing up. I was so confused by just this character in general and how like he doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie and like any way. You know what I mean? He's totally out of left field. He's almost got supernatural powers. He's yeah. like, when he gets shot, he explodes in flame in his hand. <laughs> Bro, he can like take in a scent like a hound dog. Yeah. <laughs> he might be part hound dog. He hates rabbits. He's really rough on the small things. Mm-hmm. A lone biker of the apocalypse. He leaves a scorched earth in his wake, befouling even the sweet desert breeze that whipped across his brow. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I it wrote it down. <laughs> That's it's one of uh, Nick Cage's descriptions of him as HI, and it's it's interesting. We talked about it earlier, but like his dialogue, the way he'll like suddenly go into this state where he can give such like a a beautiful description of something. I always thought, going back to like the first time when I saw it, I always thought it was like Nick Cage's dark side right like he represented the fears of becoming a parent like he's like a giant metaphor of a character right like he does he's not even like a real person within the context of this movie like i i thought he was like a metaphor for what nick cage is like afraid of who he is and like his own fears it's a metaphor for growing up yeah yeah what do the reddit theories say just tell us <laughs> film dylan did you see any i can 
I can pull one up, but I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole, but I I did kind of meditate on it myself, sort of inevitably during this watch because he is like I tend to get lost in just the comedy of this movie, but this time around I was really trying to figure something out about him, and I can't say I'm any further now than before this watch, but I think the kind of reflection of like High's outlaw side and learning to like leave that behind is like a pretty pretty down the middle like interpretation like that that works for me i'm happy as that being my takeaway from the movie it kind of it kind of clicks with everything else you're seeing and uh the way like he carries around those two little baby shoes and those are the only thing to survive the explosion of, mm. of leonard smalls at the end there's definitely something to that but uh i don't know yeah I, the coens this is another thing they love to do where they put in like this half supernatural character to just kind of mess with the protagonist and it's like kind of unclear if they're supposed to be in this world or not, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I That's a constant that I really love from them, those kind of devil-like characters. Thinking of Brother Art, though. Big O Brother Art, though, for sure. Pappy, I'm wondering if there's a key scene here that's really broken down on Reddit where uh, Leonard Smalls, he has like one scene where he's interacting with someone other than our main character, H.I., he has like a full conversation with Nathan Arizona Sr. And they're like, like you said, debating the cost of a baby. It, is that part of what people break down? I, I'm honestly just so curious about what the theories are. Okay, this comes from Curbs97 on slash r slash fan theories. And it's pretty, yes. it's pretty extensive. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just give the highlights. But he theorizes... Leonard Smalls, the leather-wielding motorcycle-riding bounty hunter, is really an older Nathan Jr. Arizona. (laughs) This is evidenced by the fact that he carries his baby shoes, and this is supposed to represent what would happen had they not returned the child. Like, this would have been the outlaw fate of the baby, which H.I., and Ed would have doomed him to. Oh, he's got that twinkle in his eye. Yeah, he's got that little outlaw look on his face. Mm-hmm. Mm. Plus, let's not forget, Nathan Jr. was never given a proper name by his adoptive parents. Maybe they decide that Leonard is a good fit. You may be wondering how, how Nathan Jr. looks like a baby version of Leonard, to which I should remind you that babies change a lot. So this theory is pretty... <laughs> Man, this guy's covered all the bases. <laughs> Damn. Really, what really... can you say about this theory? He's got it covered. <laughs> Closed all the loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking room for anything there. No backlash. In, any other ones, Pat? <laughs> um, let's see. That started off strong. He doesn't hurt the mom, which speaks to a son's love for a mom is part of it. The, the baby shoes are a really big part of it. He also claims that by returning the baby, they prevented the Mad Max-style apocalypse into which... <laughs> Nathan Jr. would have caused. So, you know, I I think it's pretty good. It's a good theory. If Leonard Smalls and Nathan Jr. had ever made physical contact, they could have caused a tear. (laughs) Oh, and his space-time continuum? He was always in the baby seat when he grabbed him. So, ooh. Lastly, during our dreamed introduction to Leonard, we hear H.I. tell us, I feared I myself had unleashed him. This is in bold. In fact, it was raising him in the life of an outlaw that did unleash him. So, I don't know. Steve, I'll go back to you. Does it matter? Does it, you know, is it just like a Coen Brothers artsy thing that they do where like... Probably. Any other director wouldn't have a character 
like this. I mean, is there a Shakespearean character like this? I know they love their Shakespeare. Is it in the Odyssey? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter in the long run. It's definitely memorable. It definitely sticks out like a sore thumb. But I kind of like the Leonard Smalls character. The only thing I thought was weird was each time he passed in the motorcycle, like at the end when he was fucking with, um, with High and uh, Ed, where, you know, he'd do something and then he'd circle back and do something else and circle back. That's one thing I thought that was kind of out, like, out of place, especially as far as pacing goes. But, um, I guess I kind of like that Reddit theory of that's, you know, what would happen had they not returned the baby. Uh, and also, I'm still shocked that, uh, Mr. Arizona didn't shoot both of them, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just started Somebody made the joke about the wood pecker tattoo right doesn't leonard smalls have that Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. that's where the whole reflection of his outlaw side has always kind of clicked with me of like okay yeah this is like this darker persona of high that he's trying to separate from the new father high you know well film dylan leonard smalls aside things start going really bad for hi and ed uh particularly with these two outlaws who they've let in their home what what happens? Um, any anything that stood out to you from when the baby is re kidnapped, <laughs> kidnapped t- at times two? Yeah. So Gail and Evel they realize based on Glenn, you know, spouting off at uh, at High outside his house that this baby is the missing Arizona baby, and they've also been trying to rope High into this bank score. So they're like, "Look, man, we're going to take the reward for the baby. We're going to take the bank, and we're going to be well on our way." Sorry, you had to get caught up in all this, but. You know, we just, we got to do what we got to do. And I got to say, up there with the Glenn and Dot arrival scene is this fight scene between John Goodman and Nick Cage because it's so slapsticky hilarious to me. Again, one of my favorite jokes in the movie is uh, Nick Cage reaching his hands up to clobber John Goodman over the head and scraping his fingers on the ceiling and he yells. Yeah. And then when he, <laughs> then when he looks at his fingers, he yells like way louder. That also gets me every single time. That that whole fight where just like every limb is busting through a window, busting through a wall, that cracks me up. Sweet Lord. Yeah, they fucked this place up. It's like an ECW wrestling match in there. It's like a hardcore title is on the line and you could use anything. But it's mostly just John Goodman and Nick Cage, HI, fighting. And the other guy's just kind of like hanging back with the baby. But it's like they bust through every fucking wall and destroy every single thing possible in here. (laughs) And it's really great for that. It it adds a lot of comedy, especially the, the little dumb stuff that happens. Like there's a lot of just like, picking up Nick Cage and spinning him. But like like you said, the scraping the fingers, like that's like it's the kind of stuff you don't see in a lot of movies, I don't think. Like that like that joke. It's like so small, but great. That maybe that's what it is with the Coen Brothers movies in general. It's like the size of their jokes are tiny, but that makes them like really good, in my opinion. They're small but like confident too. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Place emits very memorable characters with like very unique dialogue styles for each of them and it just makes for kind of this this perfect combo Mm -hmm. there's always crime it's almost always i think set in the united states in a different part of the united states and like mikey when they're robbing the hayseed bank too uh john goodman and what's the other guy's name um evil right william forsyth william forsyth evil yeah 
Like all the people in the bank are dressed like oh brother or art thou characters. <laughs> like they're all just dressed mm-hmm. in like brown and like I don't know, they look like peasants from the twenties or something. Um <laughs> Yeah. That could like be the bank robbery scene in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, right? You <laughs> yeah. could like interchange it. George Nelson. Um like you can't take us through here like what happens just like leading up to the end, um with the how uh John Goodman and Leonard Forsyth meet their meet their blue demise. Yeah, so they try to go to this ag agriculture bank or something uh, that like has uh, especially a lot of money on this day in particular because the the farmers are cashing like subsidy checks on this day, and so they go there and they just kind of mess it up the entire way, but they end up pulling off. Uh, the robbery anyways because everybody in this bank is just an old person and so they're just like complying with everything that they're asking of them and at one point john goodman tells everybody to get down on the ground and he's like oh shit where are all the tellers at and he's like <laughs> and somebody from behind the teller desk is like you told us to to lay down on the ground right hey seats it's a stick up everybody freeze everybody down on the ground Well, which is it, young feller? You want I should freeze or get down on the ground? Mean to say, if I freeze, I can't rightly drop. And if I drop, I'm going to be in motion. You see? Shut up! Okay, then. They're just in complete control of the situation, but uh, they're not very good at what they're doing. And they're kind of fumbling it along the way. And in their escape... They end up forgetting the baby like two different times and <laughs> and having one of these uh bank bank bomb things go off in the car. And this this part cracked me up really hard when John Goodman's desperately trying to wipe the windshield off. Uh I was laughing really hard at that. That was so funny. Yeah, classic die pack scene, right? Like good time yeah. style, but like if it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's always like renaming this baby Junior too. It's Nathan Junior, then Ed Junior, and then Glenn Junior after they <laughs> Little Gale. Little Gale. I like how they like, yeah, take ownership of the like they we're never leaving this baby again. They bring him in to the bank robbery and like set the baby carriage down on the ground. Pappy, did you not latch on to the Pappy character in that bank, the Hayseed, where he's like <laughs> John Goodman yells out, freeze and drop to the ground. Now, which is and it, the young feller? Like, I can't that, therefore drop to the ground while freezing, can I? And like the rest of the crowd is kind of looking to that man like, yes, he's right. We can't drop to the ground while freezing. There's another equally good pappy, though, in the, uh, in the gas station with mm-hmm. the gas station clerk. He's up there for me as well. Do these balloons blow up in funny shapes? Well, not unless round is funny. <laughs> what a fucking response, dude. <laughs> that that guy is a great example of like the Coens committing to a joke for like a long time. That's something they kind of do. Like they they have faith that the joke's going to work because they'll keep returning to it. Like the whole bit of him counting up to 825 and we revisit that several times. We like hear him counting still in the background and counting back down when Gail and Neville have to return, like, they keep coming back to that guy, and that's, like, that's another Cohen hallmark to me. It's like, we're going to keep milking this bit for all it's worth. 
Mm-hmm. Ah, shit. I don't know. I mean, that's pretty much everything that I had. Like, they returned the baby right after the battle with Leonard Smalls. Stevie, do you think Nathan senior nathan arizona is a likable character though because like he he can be kind of an asshole at times he can he can yell at his employees and say he's gonna kick ass when he shows up at 12 hours at the store but he has kind of a tender heart here with the the young couple at the end kind of nuts isn't it you would I just mean, start blasting if this was real. I would start blasting if that were real. Like, who <laughs> the fuck these people are? <laughs> <laughs> like, we know they are as the audience. He doesn't know. This is Arizona for crying out loud. Tell me he doesn't have a gun on him in his own home. Um, everyone else does. Everyone else does, exactly. He has a big gun. And <laughs> he just. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like, him and his wife aren't great parents. Like, you have like five, like, infant slash, like, toddler children. And you have like balloons in their room. Like, come on, rookie mistake. But um, why? They can choke on him. Mm. They want to bite him. They can go off and they can shoot in the back of the baby's throat and they can choke on him. Pap really showing his baby knowledge here. Yeah, I don't know. Give us a lack of baby knowledge. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) Pap giving babies balloons over here. But I mean, (laughs) I guess he has a tender heart. I just, uh, I don't know. Part of me almost wishes like. They return the baby like much like Nick Cage was like running from the cops during that transition scene. I don't know. To me, that'd have been a little funnier, or like those long tracking shots worth like someone chasing after him, versus kind of the, you know, PBS version of oh, it's okay, guys, just walk out of here. It's fine. I think the Coens refuse to just make him like a straight up villain. Like they don't want to make simple. How is he a villain? Like though? Is that a villain in this movie either? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think he is at all. But I think a different movie. That guy's clearly like the biggest villain in the movie. So it makes it okay like, to sure kidnap he, the baby. <laughs> sure, he got his baby kidnapped, but he's the bad guy. Yeah. But this this movie make does a they really put a twist on this character, and it does make me think about a couple times in my life, maybe where I've met someone, or I've had a boss. It's like seemingly a dick all the time. Um, no one really likes them, but then you kind of get them in a one-on-one space and they really endear themselves to you or seem really human or something. And I don't know how the Coen brothers do that consistently like this, but I I feel like this is a really unique but specific character that resonates with me. Nathan Arizona knows people. He says that. (laughs) He knows furniture and people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he gets his uh, kids uh, jammies with Yodas on them or some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think the sentimentality is is sweet. I, I, I like that he's, he <laughs> when he's picking up Nathan Jr., he puts the gun down in the crib <laughs> facing the baby to like pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking wild, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like leaves it in there. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's just a lot of like little... Little funny things about him. But I think if you don't end the movie on this kind of like sweet, redemptive note, you you would just kind of walk away being like, 
seriously, what the fuck was that? Or it would feel like more... It's a super screwball movie, but it, it does deliver some emotion at the end. Film Dylan, what do you make of H.I.'s uh, final dream here as he looks into the future? I really like this final dream. Um, I feel like there's a decent amount of ambiguity in it, which is interesting. I mean, like, it, it feels like a happy ending, but at the same time, like, there is a lot of tension going on right now between High and Ed, despite Nathan, uh, Arizona, trying to kind of console them a little bit. Um, but I think the kind of the dream sequence has this good blend of like, there is some subtle comedy in there, but you are following through with the heart. You're like kind of getting to the, the main themes of this movie of family and like what could be uh, in the future if, if I can kind of turn turn things around. I, I just feel like the, the flash forward to them as an old couple and like the family gathered around them, it just is so sweet. I mean, like I just I love that part. It really hit me this time more so than my other watches of this movie for whatever reason. I like, I really enjoyed that ending. I don't know how to break it down beyond that, but I don't know. It's just a good, good hearted way to, to wrap things up. Corey, does it bring a tear to your eye? The family at the end gathered around the future? No, but I like the idea that, you know, there is a, a potential path for high uh, and his wife to kind of make things work out. Cause you know, between them and all the events and the chaos of this movie, the relationship starts to deteriorate a little bit. But me, the sentimental type I am, I'd like to think that, you know, after the events of this, things did work out for them. And I don't know how they end up with the the kids and the grandkids. Maybe, you know, the adoption does go through. Maybe they do cancel each other out eventually with the uh, adoption agency. Uh, But I like to think that there is a happy ending here. And particularly, I like the idea that they kind of like follow Nathan Jr. You know, they like, kind of keep an eye on him from afar and kind of see him as like, you know, uh, maybe like their godson or something in some kind of weird way. This movie's so goofy, it doesn't feel like it's heavy-handed when it kind of hits you with these gut punches at the end. And I do think, I don't know, the older you get, the more you realize people have fertility problems, people have timing that's bad, people just have life and sometimes like kids don't work out and um this is like a really serious and heartfelt look at living through that situation in the midst of this goofy comedy and it's well done yeah it really is and stevie the last question i want to ask is like I, i know this isn't like your favorite movie but like what's what's the difference of a movie doing all this through like dreams and like you know like obfuscated like visions and like weird characters versus just like a title card comes up that says 20 years later and it's like you know you see the kids that it actually did work out like they the Cullen brothers leave it ambiguous but i feel like you know critics, hope. people people like eat that shit up you know what i mean mm-hmm. when it's more like dreamy and ethereal yeah i mean i kind of like the dreamy and ethereal aspect of it uh versus like something that's like final where it's like, this is 20 years later, and look what happened. Um, cause that, it that's just a, seems smarter, doesn't it? When you that's do the story you want to see, is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, instead of jump cutting it, I do like the fact that we do get that kind of, you know, bracing of, here's the hope that we have, whether this works out or not, great, but, you know, here's kind of the dream. I, did, I like that, like you said, you know, versus the, you know, the title card of 20 years later, and everything worked out and everybody's happy you tell me 
This whole dream was it wishful thinking? Was I just fleeing reality like I know I'm liable to do? But me and Ed, we can be good too. And it seemed real. It seemed like us. And it seemed like, well, our home. If not Arizona, then a land not too far away, where all parents are strong and wise and capable, and all children are happy and beloved. I don't know. Maybe it was Utah. Do you guys have any final thoughts on Raising Arizona? Not a long movie, kind of a comedy, but anything we we glossed over? Anything, Dylan, that you, any bits that you particularly like we didn't talk about? I've got, uh, yeah, a couple couple quick things. I don't feel like we really gave Holly Hunter her due in this conversation, the more I was just now thinking about it. She's pretty great in this movie. She really gets the tone. She has kind of that, like, you know, perfect parental aspect to her when she's trying to protect the baby against... Gail and Neville, but then she also nails the comedy when it when it calls for it. I don't know how you guys feel about her in this movie, but I feel like we we kind of glossed over her a little bit when they first like kidnapped the baby, and she's just like losing her shit. Like I love him so much. <laughs> like yeah, that's mm, pretty she, good. She has one line that like stands out. I'm surprised they actually kept this take. You guys might know it when I say it, but like they're driving away from like the the great Huggies robbery of 1987. And uh, they're yelling at each other, and she goes, we got a family now. Everything's changed. Yeah. <laughs> she says it like <laughs> in such a bizarre way. It is funny, but it's almost like it's almost over the line. It like is almost overacting. We got a child now. Everything's changed. Well, Nathan Jr. exists me for what I am. It does. I agree. Um, and then my other two really quick things. Uh, I can't help but think of every time John Goodman crawls out of that hole in the mud and it's pouring down raining and he just yells at the sky. I'm just like, this is the weirdest precursor to Shawshank I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I literally said that, dude. Yeah, it's like nobody talks about that connection for some reason, but it's like a one-for-one one scene. <laughs> I don't understand, Stevie. That's such an amazing scene and terrific in this movie. It's so funny. Glad you like it. Uh, I laughed my gross. ass off when he's just gross. screaming for so long. You go playing <laughs> shit, Josh. Tell me how much fun it is. The scene starts with rain, and then he starts screaming, and he does not stop screaming till it cuts away. <laughs> Dude, John Goodman does a lot of screaming in this movie. Like when they forget yeah. Nathan Jr. the first time, he's just like pounding on the roof of the car, like the dude yeah. rocking out to Creedence, but he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah, <laughs> he's losing it, man. He might be one of the great hollerers in movies, honestly. He's just got such a great howl at all times. It's, it's pretty pretty awesome. John Goodman is so amazing. He's like such a standout in every Coen Brothers movie. And We did a few Coen Brothers movies. I wasn't on all of them, but Inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. I know that's not this movie, oh, yeah. but good God, he's fucking amazing in that movie. I think he's the best part of the whole movie. And obviously, Walter goes without saying in Big Lebowski. I think we've done six Coen Brothers movies. I think Joel Coen might be getting close to king of spoilers in terms of directors i love his character in oh brother too with the toad that he like squashes (laughs) and everything (laughs) big dante that's pete um a couple other things francis mcdormand played dot now that we mentioned that crushes it jesus what you could have one you could have 
when this head sticks. Yeah, well, what if the baby gets sick, honey? Even if he don't get sick, he's got to have his dip tat. He's got to have his dip tat, honey. You started his bank accounts yet? Have we done that, honey? We gotta do that, honey. What's that for, Dot? That there's for his orthodonture and his university. Now, you soak his thumb and I die, and you might get by without the orthodonture won't knock a thing off the university. <laughs> you imagine if you had quintuplets, it legitimately would be hard not to get the identities mixed at some points while they're growing up. That's why they had the custom bed. It's all five names. Yeah, on. like they're never gonna switch places in the yeah, middle of the I know, night. Right? <laughs> yeah. I love those little insert lines where he's like, "I think it's Nathan Junior," <laughs> and it's coming from like either HI or the actual father of the quintuplets. <laughs> Dude, I have a friend who has twins, and these kids look identical. They're babies, and I asked him which one is which, and he didn't know. Oh yeah, he's like the mom yeah, babies, knows. I would, yeah, that'd be. <laughs> oh my so god, she's just. Relying on that's what I would. I think that would be me, dude. I, I'm so fucking clueless. I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I put a plus sign on one and a minus sign on the other's foot yeah. every day. <laughs> think about this though, guys, for real. If and God forbid something would happen to the mother, it's a 50 50 shot which one gets which identity. Oh, yeah. That if, yeah. if they're born with it or not, that's got to be so common. It probably has happened, right? Like. You named one twin Tim and one Jim, and at some point they just got mixed up, and Jim forever became Tim, you know, until they gained consciousness. I know. They'd be like eight, and I'd be like, all right, we got to land on a name. Which one of you wants the name? Just like, you guys pick. If you were twins, kind of like in the movie Moving, you could treat, you could cheat and track, <laughs> yeah. and you could switch places halfway through the race and win. Just a couple of final thoughts that I had, like Holly Hunter is singing a lullaby down in the Willow Garden which is about a guy who like murders a woman and it's going, (laughs) what the fuck was that song? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty funny choice. fact that like this is their second movie and there's a shit ton of like children babies and animals in it pretty ballsy choice you know by the cohen brothers like things you're probably told not to do um my last final thought too is i just love john goodman saying i'd rather light a candle than curse your darkness (laughs) i don't know why it's so funny coming from that character as a matter of fact i did lose my job today why you're young and you got your health. What do you want with the job? But I'd rather light a candle than curse your darkness. Now, as you know, devil here and I never go anywhere without there's a purpose. One of uh, H.I.'s lines in the early, like, 10-minute intro scene where we're going through, like, his history and what he's about, he says, I tried to go straight, but it wasn't easy with that son of a bitch Reagan in the White House. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... 
Holly Hunter saying, watch his little fontanelle. I, I think about that every time I hold a baby, too. And every pay stub I've ever gotten, Dr. Lars, I think, the government do take a bite, don't she? (laughs) 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 So, yeah, Dr. Lars, a lot of these movies' quotes have stuck with me. Thank you again for being a patron. And thanks, Film Dylan, for coming on. Let's start with you. We'll go east to east this time in our yes or no's. Film Dylan? Yeah, this is going to be a a, a rock-hard yes for me. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time, and probably... Second or third favorite Cohen, it's it's right there at the top for sure. Their comedies just always crush it for me, and it's so interesting because like we kind of hinted at this earlier, but when do you see comedies with like this much memorability in terms of cinematography? Like the shots stick with you, the camera's always whipping around doing crazy stuff. You got that Evil Dead shot, Sam Raimi influence of like racing through the desert and then up through the window mm-hmm. when the the baby is discovered to be stolen, like. You just don't see that in comedies where usually somebody just kind of sets up the camera and lets lets the actors do their thing. Um, I know Roger Deakins always talks about how the Cohen storyboard, literally everything, like down to all the finest details. And it's just like, yeah, that's just not done with comedies. And I think that's what, that's like a game changer for them. They, they exert their full control and they make, you know, this perfectly polished final product. So, yeah, one of my favorite movies for sure. One of the, one of the funniest movies to me. Um, just an absolute, an absolute favorite. And what a detour for a, a duo whose, yeah, whose first movie was this very intense, dark noir. And then they're like, let's just make the goofiest movie you've ever seen. Love it. So definitely a yes for me. And thanks for having me on. Love, love being on with you guys. This was a, this was a great one to come on and talk about. And make sure you're subscribed to the Cine Study podcast. I think almost all of us have been on an episode there at some point. Great podcast. Are you still, uh, are you making new Cine Studies? Do you have any to coming down the pipe? I am. I've been super inconsistent, but I do have a Stanley Kubrick ranked episode that I'm editing right now. So I'm hoping to get that rolled out pretty soon. Um, that's been a work in progress for too long, but trying to find the time where I can to, to keep that rolling. Listen, we don't know anything about inconsistency or taking a long time to edit. I'm sure <laughs> that'll be out before this comes out. Uh, I'll go next. This is Pappy. Um, definite hard yes. I mean, it's just one of the movies that I've seen the most, and it goes back to like having the physical copy, like being younger, um, and just watching it all the fucking time. And like, it, it was a movie that my parents really, really liked. Like, I can still picture like both my parents like busting up laughing watching this movie with them. Like, I don't know for some reason I feel like my mom really liked like the Diptet <laughs> line, like Nurse Stacy liked that. So, just good memories there. Um, yeah, Film Don, you had a really good point. Like. This in so many ways feels like the antithesis of like, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who directed all the comedies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I Love You Man. Judd? Yeah, it feels like the like antithesis of a Judd Apatow movie where this feels so like highly planned and detailed and not just a bunch of like... Improv? Riffing. <laughs> yeah, like the jokes are so tight and like fall back on each other. I wouldn't say it's one of my, like, I wouldn't put it even in probably my top four coen brothers movies i feel like later on in their career they just kind of matured as filmmakers and i would even put something like a, a serious man above this but it's a pretty just the you know bold f- second you know movie first like real budget movie and like the fucking run of movies that they go on from like their first movie all the way up to like a oh, brother or Arthur, just like an insane run of like eight movies of which I like 
all eight of them, and this is definitely one of them. So, hard yes. And thanks again, Dr. Lars. Josh? Pappy, can you do an impression of that song that's like the Western song that's like, woo wee I knew you could do it. shit, that's good. You would have thought we played that earlier, but I just knew. Oh my god! How long have you had that, Pappy? Just had it ready to go. I was hoping someone would talk to the desk at any point in the chamber. Man, Uh, I'm glad I'm on a wavelength with you, buddy. Oh man, I love this movie. I I love the fact that you've seen it so much, Pappy. This is definitely my first time seeing this movie. It's been one of those movies that's just consistently slipped by. And you know how much I love a serious man. Mm-hmm. So I I love the Coen brothers. I love everything this does. Like knowing so many of their titles, but never having seen this, it was kind of like a special treat. Definitely going to be watching this again soon. But one thing I was going to say of, as having watched this for the first time, the title kept making me think someone at some point was going to name the baby Arizona. <laughs> and so they kept saying <laughs> something junior, something junior is like one of those punchlines I kept waiting for and it just never hit, which just raised the kind of weirdness and goofiness of the movie for me. But love this movie. Love the Nick Cage hair and the cuteness from both him and Holly Hunter. Huge. Yes. Josh from Goshen. I will say too, probably like the definitive movie that takes place in arizona just a fucking weird part of the united states like when you go to arizona and then you go to like any other state and you're like holy fuck there's so many different biomes in this country like what the what the fuck how is this the same like country as minnesota but stevie give your honest yes or no don't don't hold back from dr lars wide and deep and long Speed the slow, remind the eager. Oh, man, this is such a tough call. I feel bad because you guys like love it so much, and it just doesn't do it for me in that way. Um, I think it's a really neat movie for your second film, especially one that's a little more high budget than your like your actual debut on like Blood Simple. Um, and also, like I was talking to Pat earlier, I really like the, like the use of language in this movie. I think it's always kind of fun. Love Nick Cage. Love Holly Hunter. Um, I'm going to give this like the softest of yeses. Oh, yeah. I don't know how often I'll return to this movie. It's probably near the bottom of the barrel when it comes to Cohen films. But I do respect it. Doesn't mean I have to love it or like it, but I do respect it. So I will give this a soft, soft yes, just based off of Nick Cage, Holly Hunter, and camera work. Soft yes. Mikey? Yeah, this is uh, my first time watching it as well. I liked it a lot. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I hadn't really seen Nick Cage in too many comedies, but he really steals the show. I, I, I wish he had done more comedy as like a young actor because i i thought he was really awesome at that uh it was fun to see him do that stuff loved his hair his hair looks a lot like my hair uh (laughs) thought that was fun uh but 
the thing I, I took away from this movie was um, the camera work, like we were all mentioning. I, I, I love that stuff because it also adds like comedy to uh, the situation when it's being used, like through the chase scenes. Uh, I, I thought that was really hilarious. But yeah, it's just uh, the Cohen the Cohen comedies. I don't know how they do it, but like they make all of these like it's not regional jokes, I guess, but like you can just tell like the temperament of all the people from the region through the movie. And they do a really great job of like just like nailing that that bit of America for like the 90 minutes they have you. So it's really awesome to see them do that in every movie that they do and they choose a different location for every movie, so that's really fun to see, but yeah, I, I, I like this movie. Uh, first time watch, so just not what I was expecting at all. Just in terms of uh, in terms of like having John Goodman and everything and baby kidnap, I was not expecting that at all. So it's a fun movie overall. A yes. Last but not least, Kyla. Yo, it's Corey. Kyla Ren memes. I'm gonna give this a yes as well. Just like you, Pappy, like, I feel like my mom had this movie on all the time. Like, my mom loved this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised she didn't pick this as her, like, spoilers Patreon pick. Um, This movie does have a cool look. You know, you guys drew that to my attention more than the movie did. I was kind of caught up in, like, the quirkiness to it and the comedy to it when I was watching it. But it does have interesting cinematography choices. And I was looking it up. And the cinematographer of this movie is a fellow named Barry Sonnenfeld, who is like a, a director of the 90s that did some of my favorite movies, the Addams Family movie, the 93 one, as well as the sequel. And he also directed Men in Black. So that guy went on to kind of do his own thing and be a successful director in his own right, which is cool. But in terms of this movie, it's just got this weird, subtle humor to it that I love. It's really cool. It's the kind of comedy that I can watch, and that gives it a lot of points for me. Um, kind of a childhood classic in a weird way, because if my mom had it on a lot. Not one I ever put on as a kid myself, but I feel like I've seen portions of this movie a lot. That chase scene, I feel like I have seen that chase scene a lot. Like you said, Pappy, the most memorable part, probably. But pretty great. I like it. Yes. There you go, Dr. Lars. Preserve pick. Surprise, Yes from stevie uh but thank you again for being a patron um who also hails from the hoosier state as many of us do so uh good to have a local listener and as you know dr lars it wouldn't be an episode of spoilers without a quick trivia this is the kind of trivia that Corey hates um, it's just going to be a closest <laughs> to what the streets no uh, not even that oh i wish i wish too yeah i I started to go down a path of like Arizona trivia and then it just sucked. So this is going to be a closest two. We'll go Dylan, Stevie, Josh, Mikey, Corey. The winner gets to toss it to Spoiler Man. It's going to be math. According to Letterboxd, the number of Nick Cage film acting credits times the number of Holly Hunter film acting credits Plus the year Arizona became a state. Jesus. <laughs> Jeez. Show your work, please. And I gotta I gotta set the bar for this? Yeah. Oh Nick my. Nick Cage acting credits times Holly Hunter acting credits plus the year Arizona B 
became a state. This is to toss it to Spoiler Man and give a hot take. So everything is on the line here, Dylan. High stakes. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so you want me to talk out my math here? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so my my ballpark for Nick Cage cranks out some movies. I gotta say, like he'll put out two or three in a year sometimes, but I don't know what that totals to. I'm gonna say he's in like the 140 range, and I'm gonna say Holly Hunter's more around like the the 90 range. So I don't know what 140 times 90 is. Is a calculator allowed in this scenario, or do I need to just sure? Fully if you ballpark? have a calculator, no, you got to do long division. <laughs> All right, 140 times 90, that hits uh, 12,600. And then what year did Arizona show up? We're just going to go 1835. I don't know. So 12,600 plus 1835. Hit me with a nice 14,435, Pappy. So you don't want to make it 14,420? You're right there. You know what? You're right. Let's do that in in Josh's honor. Stevie, <laughs> a fairly dank guess. In Josh's honor. Okay, so <laughs> we're multiplying. Honor. We're multiplying Nick Cage by Holly Hunter, right? Acting credits plus Arizona State year. Okay, yes. so I think Nick Cage is around 105, and I would say Holly Hunter 48, 52, maybe. Let's go to 51. So times 51. It's five thousand for five thousand three hundred and fifty-five, and then we're adding when Arizona became a state. Correct. Yeah, I think Arizona was a late bloomer, um, as far as when they got became actually a state. I want to say nineteen oh seven, nineteen oh eight. Let's go plus nineteen oh seven. So seventy. Let's see, seven thousand two hundred and sixty-two. Seven thousand two hundred and sixty-two. Yep. Josh, you said we could use a calculator. Oh yeah, but please, please do show your work for the audience. At home. Chat GPT, what does <laughs> not, not an AI. Nick Cage's? <laughs> no, I'm gonna sort of. I like people using their work. I'm gonna say around a hundred movies for Nick Cage, eighty for Holly Hunter, and. I feel like Arizona was like a later state. Say 18. Cheater? Cheater? <laughs> it's fucking with you. 1888. Oh god, that number's too high. <laughs> Wait, what were their what were their guesses? Dylan guessed fairly dankly, 14,420. Stevie guessed 7,262. I was two times Stevie's guess. That just occurred to me. There's there's no way I'm that I got to be way over. It's plus plus plus. Sorry, it's, I thought it was multiply yeah, acting credits and movies times acting credits plus state year. So eight thousand plus eighteen. This is one of the best trivia's we've ever done. I don't care what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my number is nine eight eight eight. Nine eight eight eight. I take the. You got to do reverse algebra to get Josh's numbers. Uh, I got one twenty for Nick Cage movies. 55 for Holly Hunter movies. And uh, Stevie, I was I was thinking 1908 for Arizona. Let's go. So that's my guess. And that gives me a total of 8,508. I think Mikey's going to win. 
That sounds about. That sounded pretty good. Yeah, that sounded good. Confident. Corey. Uh, Nick Cage, seventy-five. Holly Hunter, forty. And we're gonna add nineteen hundred. That's four thousand nine hundred. But I'm gonna go up to five thousand. Five. Unless someone said that already, I, I wasn't paying super close attention. Thousand. No, no, you're good. No, that's fairly dank. So the actual number of Nick Cage film acting credits, according to Letterboxd, 132. Ah, oh, damn. Holly Hunter, Big. 67. <sighs> yes. Arizona Statehood, the year of our Lord, 1912. Totally. Oh, 10,756. You guys were all actually pretty close, relatively, but Josh, you were the closest. A mere. How eight, was he the closest? Oh. A mere 868 <laughs> credits slash years off, depending on your unit of measurement. So, Josh, take it away and uh, toss us a spoiler man and give a hot take if you, if you wish. Thank you to everyone listening. Thank you to all our Patreons. Other spoiler man here on the pod with me. Listen. Never start the podcast without the whole family. Family. (laughs) Spoilers. Special thank you to our patrons. Dr. Lars. Okay, then. Matt Troll. Christian Dior, my butt. Brother Brian. Government do take a bite, don't you? Druid King. Chairs, you got a dinette set. No chairs, you got dick. Nick. Why is a pup I myself fetched $30,000 for the black market? The Meg. It was $1954. Nurse Stacy. You don't breastfeed him, he hutch you for it later. That's why we wound up in prison. Anyway, that's what Dr. Orch tells him. The Wolf. Right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby high. They got more than they handle. Barky 420. You and I'll be sitting in the fabled catbird seat. PK. Okay then. Spencer. Got a name, does he? Uh, so far we've just been using Junior. We call him Junior. <laughs> you mean you mean JR just like TV show? <laughs> That's good. Gail. Okay then. Swole. My lord, he's cute. He's a little outlaw. You can see that high. Cheese zombie. Hey, he's blow up in a funny shape, sit off. Well, no, unless round is funny. Sebastian. I even caught myself driving by convenience stores. Stone Cold Austin. That weren't on the way home. Nephew Quinn. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Be sure to check out Corey's podcast, Big Dumb Movie. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, one, search for movie spoilers. Two, click on our orange spoilers bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. Three, leave us some stars. 
and some words. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Spoilers is now available on Audible. Famos Mantaquilla. I saw, just browsing Reddit, I saw someone post, they're like, what is the name of this song? And it was the, ba 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 <laughs> And I was like, what the, f-? like, Charge? Like, does it have a name? Like, I've never, I've never seen anyone ask that question. <laughs> what is the name of this song? Is it even a song? Like, that's a good point. I mean... What's the name of the? Hey, suck. Is that? I just call that Jock Jams. Isn't that the guy who? Uh, didn't he do some bad stuff? The guy who wrote that song. Did he? I think he did like a pederast? Stuff. I think so. Or like killed his really? wife or something. Yeah. Something like that. Kind of rad. You know what? He lived. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say he lived big. Did it big. Hey, I mean, everybody knows him, right? Brett's in shambles, by the way. Why? I reached, I reached out to him on the side. I think the injustice of it is just killing me. But he's down. Wait. Florida State. About Florida State? Yeah, dude. <laughs> he's in shambles. <laughs> what did he expect? Justice. I mean, injustice, sure, but like. Florida State became Iowa without Jordan Travis. Hello. Yeah. What's up, Dylan? How's it going? How's it going? I'm doing. Going All good, good on my end. How are y'all? Doing pretty good. Are you uh, Are you in the workforce or are you? Uh... I am. I'm a I'm a corporate man now. Do you like it? So far, so good. Yeah, I like where I'm at. It was uh it was slow getting started, but now that I feel like I'm kind of up to speed with uh, the place, I'm definitely enjoying it more. Well. Enjoy it for the next 40 years of your life. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's the hope. Who's hosting this one? Who, whose pick was this? I'm hosting, but it was a Patron pick. Mm. Nice, a nice. tequila pick. Mm-hmm. The Rock tequila <laughs> pick. Hey, the Rock tequila isn't bad. Wait, which one is the Rock? Uh, what is it called? It's like a blue and white bottle. I'm trying to think of what it's called now. Did not know he had um, one. Yeah, um, I mean it's that not as good as like thing. the celebrity li- celebrity liquor. Well, like, I mean, like, didn't like Paul Mitchell start that shit with uh, Patron? Wait, what? Yeah, that's like a, that's like a Paul Mitchell tequila. Really? Yeah, I feel like celebrity alcohol is like to te- like once you hit tequila status, like you've made it. The hairdresser? Yeah. How do you know about this guy? <laughs> this is the first I even have heard of the name Paul Mitchell, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Like, yeah. I don't, oh, man, I just, I just couldn't be that motivated. <laughs> to be like, that's a big side hustle, yeah. Yeah. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. <laughs> 
Stevie, do you like the soundtrack at least? Of Raising Arizona? Yeah. In parts, yeah. Oh no, we're already saying at least about Stevie's like for this movie. It's okay. <laughs> Stevie's allowed to have his own opinion. Yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. I, I, I respect that. I read um Roger Ebert's review for the first time today and he hated it. He was like tearing it down. There you go, Stevie. Yeah, so you got company. You and Raj. <laughs> it was like one and a half stars is what he gave it. Out of how many stars? I think he does a four four star scale. That's about right. That's about right. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. like, Everybody's allowed to have their own opinions, like whatever movies they want outside of like three movies ever made. Um, but... <laughs> There's three that you must have a, a verified stance on. Yes. Are uh, they all ha- good or are they, are they all bad? Well, I mean, they're all bad. Like, The Happening is one of them. If you like The Happening, I have no hope for you in life whatsoever. But if you like this movie, great. It just, uh, some parts I didn't love. <laughs> the Godfather? Is that one? I'm trying to guess what they would be for you. What, that you have to love? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like The Godfather, it's... The thing, like I can kind of see it, like... Like, Josh doesn't like The Godfather, right? It insists upon itself. It insists <laughs> upon itself, exactly. I mean, The Godfather is not for everyone. Yeah. Honestly, same with Lord of the Rings. I don't yeah. buy the, like... I hate when... What's his name? Kevin Smith is like, they're just walking around. That's... Stupid as shit. I've heard that take so many times, though, too. It's like, it's definitely a, there's like a steadfast plurality belief that that's what those movies are. Yes. And it's, I think it's because it has the similar, not a problem, but what could be perceived as a problem with The Godfather, which is this movie is boring. And (laughs) I say that, like, for people that maybe think the Transformers movies are like the best movies of all time. Like, those people probably think it's boring. That's the group. That makes sense. People love those movies. Some people, anyway. Fucking weirdos. They made a billion of them. They made a trillion dollars. I know, I see them all. Every every time a new one comes out. (laughs) Do you really? So you're the one. You're the guy keeping those movies alive. (laughs) All right. Hey, I snuck into one of them. So you gotta... The second one, you can't count that. (laughs) I didn't make any money off that one. I bought a uh, a ticket to see. So my friend convinced me to go see Tile of Destiny in the summer, and I get there before him, and I bought my ticket, and he had already bought them for both of us. So I I paid for that movie two times, which is just tragic. Oh no! <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy's rubbing her hands together greedily, saying, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got another one." She got one, a piece boys. of every single one of those movies, though. <laughs> is it really that bad? I haven't seen it. What, no, it's not. Movie? It's not Crystal Skull. Yeah, it's not Crystal Skull. It's just so bland, in my opinion. It's like at least Crystal Skull is like somewhat interesting at parts because it's just so absurd. But like Dial of Destiny is just straight down the middle the entire time, except for the end. I guess they kind of take a chance at the end, but that like really did not work for me. The last like thirty minutes of that movie. 
Someone did this tweet. I don't have Twitter, but I saw someone share it. it. said, if they made Raiders of the Lost Ark today, they'd probably cram it with anti-Nazi propaganda, put in a feisty woman who can outdrink men twice her size, and make the hero keep failing and scared of snakes or some shit. Woke. <laughs> you'd make it some woke so bullshit. Woke. woke. Go broke. Almost as woke as GTA 6. I don't get what's woke about, I mean, the woman thing, right? That's different. There's black people in it. There's a black people in legacy GTA games, though. The one San Andreas is all. Yeah, yeah it's like you remember. I like your cut, G. <laughs> like Ben Shapiro, I swear to God, never played a GTA game. It's like, dude, like GTA 4, you're playing as like a psychotic Armenian. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Nico Balak. Are we good? Are we waiting for anyone? Is George on the night? Yeah, he's going to join late. I'm just confirming. Why? He's going to enter with a screaming, raising Arizona yodel about halfway through the pod. (laughs) He wants to make a grand entrance. That would be pretty sick, i got to say. He's going to ride in like Leonard Smalls. (laughs) Are you guys ready? Give me two minutes. I need to give me an audacity check real quick. Test, test, test. Josh says 10-15. Should we wait or just start with Adam? That's up to Corey. I'm on no timeline myself. Well, let's start without him. <laughs> I like your thinking. <laughs> he said we could. I'm just making sure he's going to record as he joins. Give me like two minutes. I just finished the Happening Pod yesterday. That was a very good podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Very bad movie. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, and I have no plans to until somebody you makes should. it. You oh, should. Oh, I see how it, it is. <laughs> but you won't listen to my episodes because you haven't seen the movies. So well, that's a movie I want to see. That's the thing. I want to see the Terminator movies. Therefore, I should not spoil them. But I have no interest in ever seeing The Happening. So that's like returns, 20, my friend. Probably 25 spoilers episodes of like movies I want to see. So I haven't listened to the episodes yet of like the you know 500 or what's the number? What's the count? It's up. It's almost five, yeah. Yeah, let's see. I have uh, I have four big dumb movies downloaded of movies I want to wait on, and I have twenty-seven sports episodes of movies I haven't seen yet that I want to see first. Hey, Pap. Yeah. Guess what I'm currently downloading on my PS5. Um. Let me guess. Let me get a not good a, guess. Not a Warner Brothers movie you purchased. Because <laughs> it's not on there. Yeah, hey, it's not on there. <laughs> They'll still accept the dollars, though. Mm-hmm. We'll give you the movie. Elden Ring? Dead Space Remastered. Oh, oh nice. nice. I am pumped for that shit. That'll be scary. It actually is a scary game. Yeah, we should start. Josh is cranky. <laughs> oh, is it cranky Josh Knight? He says, I need to drive. So I don't know. That doesn't sound like he could possibly be ready in 10 minutes. <laughs> he still has to drive? He still has to drive? Where, from his from, parents? From work? He says he bent his whole day around it. I need to drive. Do whatever. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ, Cranky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Everybody ready? Ready. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one, go. That was spoilers.